Amen. He said, you're called into this. You need to have some goals concerning what you were called into. You know, if you get hired to work for a company, you need to make some goals of I'm going to be this or I'm going to be that. I'm going to help this company out. Brother, Brother Zeke, when you got hired as a coach, did you have a, a goal of winning in mind by chance? I guarantee you if Zeke doesn't have a goal of helping the Lufkin Panthers be a winning team, he will be moving soon. And if the next place he goes, he don't have goals, he'll be moving again and pretty soon he'll end up without a job as a coach because when you're called into something, you need to get your goals wrapped around that. You were called into the body of Christ. You were called into the church of the living God. So it's insane for us not to have some goals about wanting to be this for God and want to grow in God wanting to give more and want to live more and want to grow in his grace and his knowledge. Amen. You were called into this so you owe God some of your goals. Amen. You owe that to him. Colossians, he went ahead and he told him, he said that you might walk worthy of the Lord unto all pleasing, being fruitful in every good work. So we need to provide for our needs. I understand that. But we do not need to get caught up in the pursuit of wealth to the degree that it becomes more important than our relationship with God and his church. I'm still old enough, I am old enough to remember when Teachers didn't give homework on Wednesday night. I'm old enough to remember when Little League Baseball didn't practice on Wednesday night. I'm old enough to remember when they made sure you got off of work right at 5 o'clock or 4.30 and people didn't work overtime on Wednesday night. I'm talking about general public because they respected God. But we're in a society now that wants ever, I'm so, I'm so proud of Chick-fil-A. If I didn't like chicken, I'd eat at Chick-fil-A. And if you don't like chicken, you need to at least go drink a Coke there because they are one at least company that says we're shutting our doors on Sunday. Amen. Because somewhere in this nation, God has blessed us with wealth and instead of putting some spiritual goals out there, we just keep trying to pile it on in the natural. And if we're not careful, we'll do that in our own lives. So we need to provide, but we need to have spiritual goals. Matthew said, lay up for yourselves treasure where? In heaven, where the moth and the rust can't get to it. So I'm not talking about not having a savings. Please, put back your can, get your safety fund. Read your, what's that guy, that financial guru? Dave Ramsey, get all the Dave Ramsey you want to get, but don't forget Jesus is going to be here when this whole thing crashes anyway. Amen. So make sure you're investing. Uh, we'll, we'll have our tithe reports out here for long. Some of you I rejoice for, and some of you I'm pretty nervous about. Some of you either don't pay tithe or you can't count. It's real easy. 10%. This, I've taught this lesson for 100 years. Not quite that long. You make $100, 10% is $10. It's pretty easy math. Problem is, it's easy when you make $10 and it's a dollar. Where it gets to be a problem is when you make more money and that 
other that 10% starts getting big, you say, ooh, no, I can't trust God with that. I can trust him with a dollar, but I can't trust him with a thousand. Never mind, I'll get to that later. <laughs> so what should we be in pursuit of? What's worth it? Who should, be, who should we be trying to impress? With whom should we be trying to fit in? We need to focus on getting things right that matter. A lot of things we waste our time on ain't going to matter in five years, ten years. What are you doing right now in your life? What are you putting your shoulder behind? What are you investing in that's going to matter a hundred years from now? You say, I don't care about a hundred years. Go out there and look at the stars again and realize you're still going to be here a hundred years from now. Not here, but you're going to be somewhere. (laughs) If you're still here, you're going to be quiet and object of attraction. You ain't going to be here, but you're going to be somewhere. You ain't just poofing going away. So what are you investing in that you can enjoy in that life that you really don't know all about, but you know it's there? Those are worthy goals. And we need to spend time examining the things that help us succeed where success really matters and then work to protect and strengthen those things. If you want to see it really in in its perspective, just go to the story of the rich man in hell, rich man of Lazarus. Lazarus don't have nothing. All he's got, sores and dogs licking him. Sorry, if you hadn't had supper yet and I ruined your supper. That's That's all the poor man had. And the rich man had everything. The Bible says he fared sumptuously. But when this very brief life is over, very, very brief compared to eternity. This very, very brief life. Life is but a vapor. We know that. I mean, you turn around. Every one of you can remember. It's just yesterday you learned to ride a tricycle. And now you're about to have to use a walker. You know, life passes really fast. And, and so Lazarus, I mean, boom, life was over. Now the tables are turned. The rich man is in hell. And I think that story's real. I mean, you can debate that if you want to, but the Bible said there was a certain rich man. He didn't just throw it out there. He was specific. He knew who he was talking about. And he said, now this is the way the story's turning out. He said, hey, look, this is, so I'm telling you, it don't matter if you live in a house on the hill. If you don't get your heart right and have goals for the kingdom of God, you ain't going to enjoy it very long. It's going to slip from your grasp. So don't forget worthy goals. There's things that are worthy of your pursuit. All right, uh, I, uh, I have created a, a deal. I hope it's big enough. It may not be. And Brother Malcolm is going to do his best to stay up with me. Uh, I'm trying to help them, and I might have hurt them worse than helping them. They usually have to enter all these scriptures, and I put them a PowerPoint. But we may crash big time. We'll see. If we crash, I'll work on it and do better. Amen. Hebrews 11:24 says, By faith, Moses, when he was come to years, he done a megxit. Any of y'all read newspaper? Watch TV? <laughs> Megxit. Yeah. Megxit. It's a new word. By faith, Moses, when he was come to years, he refused to be called the son of Pharaoh's daughter. He left the palace, choosing rather to suffer affliction with the people of God than to enjoy the pleasures of sin. Oh, that is never going to work. Y'all can't see that, can you? Can you? All right, good. Y'all got good eyes. 
All right, choosing rather to suffer affliction with the people of God than to enjoy the pleasures of sin for a season, esteeming the reproach of Christ greater riches than the treasures in Egypt. And here's why the Bible said, for he had respect unto the recompense of the reward. He realized there's some bigger rewards out there than what this world can pass out. Amen. You know, it's insane how many people watch MTV Awards and what's all those others, uh, um, hmm? Grammys and what, SAG? They're sagging, all right. I mean, there's all kinds of awards and they all just go crazy like they're the greatest. All they've done is make up stuff and act out parts. And people are just, look, oh, look, she's coming. She's wearing certain, I don't care what she's wearing. It's barely there anyway, usually. Whatever she's wearing usually needs more of it. They ought to pay them more. They could afford more fabric. Amen. So, number one, one of our most important goals should be growing in our faith. This is, I'm just going to run back through some of the things we covered. Number two, a worthy goal. It's a worthy goal to continue the process of writing the laws of God and the commandments of God onto our hearts. We got to get it out of the book and into our hearts. Every one of us have that job. Nobody can do that for you. Everybody has their own struggle. But we need to get the laws of God off of the paper and into our hearts. Something's got to get a hold of us, and that's a worthy goal. If you don't get but one of them fixed this year, if you don't fix but one thing in your life this year, spend time fixing it. Amen. Number three, it's a worthy goal to pursue the joy of Jesus. Why is that? Because the devil is not going to quit fighting you, and the joy of the Lord is your Strength, you've got to have your strength. It's a worthy goal to protect your strength in the spirit. So it's a worthy goal to pursue the joy of Jesus. Learn how to do that. Learn to be joyful. You don't have to go in the ditch of despair every time something happens. You have control of that. You can change your direction. You can get a hold of your mind and you don't have to go there. Amen. For for. Those of us that struggle being moody and get depressed from time to time, we don't have to go there. For those of y'all that get up happy every morning, God bless you. I hope you get bugs or something to make you realize where the rest of us are, you know. <laughs> but, but, you know, you don't have, your mind, get a hold of your mind. Gird up, the Bible says, gird up the loins of your mind. You don't have to let it take you. Learn this year, let it be a worthy goal to stay out of the ditch. If you just do it once a month or once a week, it'll be better. You know, get a hold of yourself. Look at your name and say, get a hold of yourself. Hey man, Romans 14, 17 says, for the kingdom of God is not meat and drink, but it is righteousness and peace and joy in the Holy Ghost, all right? Moving on, number four, last week we talked about a worthy goal to continually develop your hope toward God. You cannot live without hope, and the world is constantly trying to drain that hope. We constantly feel. That's why I can't stress this enough, ladies and gentlemen. Every week you're seeing people commit suicide. Saddest story this week about that police officer. Had a wreck. I don't know what state it was. Had a wreck. They were trying to get to him, and before they could get to him, he got his service revolver and took his life. 
in that wreck, trapped in that wreck. I mean, it's happening in the movie industry, the entertainment industry. It's just kaboom, 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 kaboom. Everywhere you turn because people are getting hopeless and there's no need to be hopeless. And there's no reason to be hopeless. And, and I know life gets tough and crazy, but you can protect hope. And there, it's a worthy goal for you to develop your hope toward God. There's so many scriptures we talked about last week, if you want some of them. But the Bible says, Romans 5, 5, and hope maketh not ashamed, because the love of God is shed abroad in our hearts. Amen. So, Moving forward, starting uh, where we left off the other night, Romans 8 and 18, he said, I reckon that the sufferings of this present time are not worthy to be compared with the glory which shall be revealed in us. For the earnest expectation of the creature waiteth for the manifestation of the sons of God. I've got this running in the ESV. I'm reading in the KJV so you can see both at the same time, maybe understand it as we go. For the creature was made subject to vanity, not willingly, but by reason of him who hath subjected the same in hope. Because the creature itself also shall be delivered from the bondage of corruption into the glorious liberty of the children of God. For we know that the whole creation groaneth and travaileth in pain together until now. And not only they, but ourselves also, which have the first fruits of the Spirit, even we ourselves groan within ourselves, waiting for the adoption to wit or to come about the redemption of our body. For we are saved by hope. But hope that is seen is not hope. For what a man seeth, why does he yet hope for? But if we hope for that we see not, then do we with patience wait for it. He says, likewise, in other words, or because of all this, let me put it into a spiritual pattern. He said, likewise, the Spirit helps our infirmities because our, our infirmities brings us to a hopelessness. Our natural man brings us to a hopelessness. When we look at nature, when we look at, if we just look at our flesh, we just look at our natural perspective. Some of y'all are still in the prime of life. You hadn't woke up and not been able to see like you did yesterday when you went to bed. Some of you don't wake up every morning with a new pain. I've wondered some nights, does my wife beat me while I'm asleep? I've wanted to leave a camera running just to see if she whoops on me while I'm asleep. I'll get you. You talk to me like some of you hadn't got there yet. You're still all full of hope. You're just getting stronger every day. You're going to the gym. You're getting better looking. You're getting better hair. Some of us are fighting just to keep what we got to keep getting sunburn on our head. All right? So he said, when you just look at it through the natural, it can be pretty depressing. He said, but the spirit is helping our infirmities. Brother, brother, um, uh, Welch preaching this week and he said he, he said as far as I've traveled I've never met a pastor that pushes more for the church to get in the spirit of God during their services and their prayer times he said I've never met anybody and I think that's why it drives me because I understand if we can just get into the spirit of God it doesn't fix everything but it speaks to the hope within us no, I can, if I get in the spirit, I can walk out that door and feel the same stupid devil, same stupid pains in my body. But as long as I can get in the spirit, I know there's a world calling me from somewhere that things will not always be like this. I will get a new body. 
Amen. So he said, the spirit also helpeth our infirmities, for we don't know how to pray as we ought. But the spirit itself maketh intercession for us with groanings which cannot be uttered. And he that searcheth the hearts knoweth what is the mind of the spirit because he's making intercession for the saints according to the will of God. So it's important to realize in your pursuit of hope, in your pursuit of hope, you cannot drift away from being in the presence of God because your hope is tied in with the presence of God. Real hope is tied together with the presence of God. Because as, as the scripture says, and it's so misquoted, if in this life only I had hope in Christ, I would be of all men most miserable. So many people leave out that word in Christ, that, that, the in Christ. And what he's saying is, even with Jesus Christ in your life, if this was the only life you had hope in, you would be miserable. Because even Christians have a bummer of a life from time to time. Hey, man, we got it pretty good here, but how would you like to be a Christian in Iran tonight or Iraq or China? It ain't going so good for them. So their hope in Christ is not in this life. And so that's why you've got to stay connected to another world. You've got to stay connected to the spirit world or your mind will be so overwhelmed with things that aren't getting fixed. I've got prayers, honey. I believe God's a prayer answering God. I believe God's a healer. God saved me when I was a baby. I wasn't even supposed to live. God saved me. But I prayed for years for my hips and finally went and had them both replaced. I can't explain that. Amen. I know God's a healer. So if we just get focused on this, we get, we, our hope can get crushed beneath the load of unanswered prayers or this or that or the other. You say, did he just say unanswered prayers? Yeah. There's some things we don't get an answer. Oh, I know they say, oh, God always answers. He says yes, no, or wait a minute. say nothing. At least to me, maybe those of you who have a halo on, maybe he tells you every little thing and maybe he even consults you before he does stuff. I've seen some people think he did. Woo! He said now, Romans 15, he said, now the God of hope, everybody say the God of hope, fill you with all joy and peace in believing that you may abound in hope through the power of what? Through the power of the Holy The only way you're going to abound in hope is through the power of the Holy Ghost. That's why the enemy don't want you praying in the Spirit. That's why he'd love us to come to church and be all tight. That's why people pray, and I heard somebody over here just just getting with it while it go like they didn't care what nobody else thought. The devil hates that mess. He wants us to be very intimidated and not press our way into the presence of God. Amen. You look at a real prayer meeting, it don't always look pretty. My precious Father in heaven, how faithful thou art to us. Not just making fun of that. I guess I am a little bit, but but I am saying there's way more to it than that. And sometimes it ain't pretty. You look at some of the effective prayer meetings in the in the Word of God. It gets rough. 
It gets desperate. Amen. The woman with the issue of blood was having a prayer meeting. That's what that was about. As she was fighting through the crowd, de- eating dust and, and putting some people out of the way. She was having a prayer meeting. That's what she was having. She was getting to Jesus. She was getting everything out of the way. And sometimes that's what it takes to have a real prayer meeting. Some of you had not had a prayer meeting in a while. You, you got to shake some of the pride out of you sometimes to have a real prayer meeting. Well, if God wants to bless me, he'll just do it. First Thessalonians, he said, but let us who are of the day be sober, putting on the breastplate of faith and love and for an helmet, the hope of salvation. For God hath not appointed us to wrath, but to obtain salvation by our Lord Jesus Christ. So let me just tell you as I close out this, the worthy, worthy goal of pursuing the hope in God. Life does come hard and fast at times. It don't back up. It just keeps pushing. Situations can often be overwhelming. I get that. I understand that. Amen. The last part of this year is I've lost mom and dad and tried to process all that. Situations can be overwhelming. I fully get that. In Matthew 6 and 34 though, Jesus stresses the value of taking life one day at a time. There are times that the challenges we face are much larger than we feel capable of handling. In many instances, we will indeed fail if we try to deal with the whole picture at once. We love, the Bible says take no thought for tomorrow. We love worrying about tomorrow. We love that. Yeah, we, we love worrying about tomorrow. And the Lord said, take no thought for tomorrow. I'm, I'm, it's going to be all right. I'm going to be. We need to practice that. See, that's part of hope. Because if you can get enough piled on you, you become hopeless. And, and the enemy wants this pile. He wants, you wor- he wants you worried about what's going gonna happen five years from now. And some of us give him what he wants. Oh, God. What, what am I going to do five years from now? Where am I going to be? Oh, God, I'm gonna, it's going to be terrible. I'm going to be. Why? Why give him that? Did God, I want to ask you a question. Did God take care of you today? <laughs> yeah. What are you worried about tomorrow for? If he took care of you today, guess what? He's already in tomorrow. They don't separate him out in 24-hour slots. He got the whole picture. He'll be there. And so if we're going to protect our hope, we got to adjust our understanding sometime. And we need to make sure we keep prioritizing and making the main things the main things. So what is the main thing in your life? I know, I know some of you, some of you. Time prioritization, if that's how we're going to classify it, FaceTime's your main thing. Oh, I'm sorry, Facebook. Huh? Thank you for that correction. Whoever helping me out here. So what is your main thing? You've got to prioritize some things. And, and where is it at on the schedule? I mean, look and see what's important to you. It's going to show up in your time. It's going to show up in your pocketbook. 
It's going to show up in your discussion, what you talk about, what you're excited about. It shows up. And so it's, it, we've got to prioritize. If we're going to maintain a hope in God, we've got to act like we're excited about God. How many times have I showed more excitement about stuff and things than I have about my relationship with God? If I got one finger right now pointed at y'all, I got three pointing back at me, so don't sweat it. I'm just telling us worthy goals for 2020. Make God more awesome in your life. If he is our hope, then let's, let's spend a little more time investing in that hope. Let's spend a little less time in things that stress us and frustrate us and anger us and pile up on us. Amen. My Lord, it, gets, it goes fast from, from 7.30 to 8. Just keep adjusting your grip on the things that really matter. Uh. Next thing I want to talk about, and obviously I'm not going to get through tonight. Um, I wanted to cover two of them tonight. I'm only going to even just start this one. Number five, a worthy goal for 2020 is to have a conscious void of offense. A conscious void of offense. Um, Acts 24 and 14 said, but this I confess to you. This is, this is uh, the writings of Paul, but this I confess to you that according to the way which they call a sect, S-E-C-T, uh, basically we would call it here uh, uh, not, really a, not really a cult, C-U-L-T, definitely not occult, not necessarily cult, but people that, you know, you've been deceived and you're just following these, this man. You're, you're kind of off. You, you, you're in this weird group. Uh, and he said, but this I confess to you that according to the way which they call a sect, I worship the God of our fathers, believing everything laid down by the law and written in the prophets, having a hope in God, which these men themselves accept that there will be a resurrection of both the just and the unjust. So he said, I always take pains to have a clear conscience toward both God and man. A clear conscience toward both God and man. The, the Passion Translation, verse 16 says, that's why I seek with all my heart to have a clean conscience toward God and toward others. Now, there's so much we can talk about here, and I'll just get through a little bit of it, and then we'll pick up where we left off. Man's conscience has proven to be one of the most undervalued possessions held by man. If your mom was a whooper, your conscience probably kept you from getting some whoopings. If your mama is to put your nose in the corner, mama, then your conscience probably kept your nose out of the corner a few times. Your conscience is very valuable to you. The Bible shows that the apostle Paul understood the value of his conscience. He exercised himself to ensure that his conscience was void of offense toward both God and man. You see, a, void, a conscious void of offense is a guiltless conscience. To be guiltless means that all wrongdoings 
which were condemned by the conscience have been dealt with before God and have been forgiven by God. And so there's no more feeling of guilt and condemnation in your conscience. And once you make an error, and we do, once you make an error, you should always deal with it immediately so that there will be no offense, no guilt, no blemish in your conscience. And this is a very serious matter, and it's a very worthy goal for 2020. It's a very worthy goal. You ever talk to somebody and you said, I shouldn't have said that to them. I shouldn't have said that that way to them. We'll fix it. That's your conscience trying to keep your nose out of the corner. That's your conscience trying to keep your mama from whooping your behind. So fix it. If your conscience talks to you, dear God, fix it. I've seen people say ugly stuff and make every excuse in the book why they should be able to say that to somebody. All the time their conscience saying, you need to say your soreness. They deserve, no, shut up. And apologize. That's what your conscience is trying to tell you to do. Quit, Quit treating it bad. Once you make an error, you need to, that needs to be a goal. God, I'm gonna listen to my conscience more this year. You, you may be able to fool everyone else, but you can never fool your conscience. You can't fool it, but listen close. You can harden it. And once you harden it, that's so, 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 so dangerous. And in these times of the Bible calling it a great falling away, and confusion, many people like to debate about doctrines and dispute certain areas of God's word and all the time they're having to sear their conscience. They're having to cause their conscience to die when my God, if they had just listened to it, they will not have to stand before him one day and give an account for that mess. Amen. If we do not obey the light we see or if we choose not to answer a certain demand of God, then we develop an offense in our conscience toward God. You need to go back to your mama. What'd your mama tell you? Mama, everybody else is doing it. Well, if everybody else is jumping off a bridge, are you going to? Honey, we got folks jumping off the bridge like crazy right now. Your conscience is trying to tell you don't go there, don't do that. Well, Susie's doing it and Tommy's doing it and Billy's doing it and Sherry's doing it. Why can't I do it? Man, listen to that voice, that conscience that's trying to keep you out of trouble because if you keep going, you will harden that conscience and then you'll do things that would have shocked you a year ago to know that you're doing Amen. If we remain unwilling to forsake something God talks to us about, an offense develops in our conscience. And this offense begins a leak within us. And even though we sing and we minister and our spirit is, uh, even though we're involved in all the worship, and all, our spirit is not strong and our prayers and our words don't have a clear sound. Y'all, I've been your pastor long enough. You know when I got the victory and when I don't. (laughs) You ain't dumb. 
You know when I stand in this pulpit if I'm struggling or not. Now, you don't know I know you know that, but I know you know that, and I know I know you know that. Now you know I know you know that. I can't fool you. Amen. How in the world you think you're going to fool yourself? When you're struggling, you need to fix it. We playing a quiet game again. Y'all just found out I know something y'all didn't think I knew. I mean, you you you're trying, you're making the noise, but if you're it don't have a clear sound. If when by the grace of God we deal with that offense and answer God's demand, immediately the offense in our conscience is gone. The sound of our prayers change and when we stand up again to give a testimony or to sing, there's an inner confirmation which is a conscience that's void of offense. And that's why Paul kept telling them that. He said, I'm working at this. I'm gonna have a, a conscience that's void of offense. In our current environment, it's not easy for, for one who serves God to keep his conscience free from offense. It's a full-time job. Amen. Paul worked to accomplish a clear conscience. His conscience before God was solid. It was not hollow. There was no leak, no hole, no offense, no guilt, no sin or accusation in his conscience. And since Paul's conscience had been dealt with before God, he could say that his conscience was without offense and therefore he was a man who served God and he was a man of prayer. His conscience was supporting him because there was no flaw in it. No flaw in his conscience. And by the cleansing of the precious blood of Jesus Christ, we must keep our conscience free from any offense so that we may be men and women of prayer. That's why in the tabernacle plan, what's the first furniture? A brazen altar. Repent. Get it out. Amen. When Paul testified before the council, he could proclaim that he had lived in all good conscience before God. This did not just happen by chance. Paul described his efforts as exercise or work. You gotta work at it. You gotta work at staying clean. You gotta physically get a hold of conversations that you heard at work and remove them. Hey, I know, we, we don't live in the real world a lot of times. I know that. Now, you know I know that. <laughs> but we used to live in the real world. And my wife worked at a, at a bank in Houston when before Courtney was born. That's been 30-something years ago. And they would talk to her, and they would say, if it's the last thing we do, we're going to get you to go to the, the strip club with us. What was back then is some I can't remember the name of in Houston. They were determined to take my, and they would come back from their Friday nights on Monday and they would tell her all about the guys and describe the guys that they had seen at the strip club. Downtown Bank in Houston, Texas, 30-something years ago. When you work in the public and in the environment that you live in, and God to our children, I pray for you. God, the things they experience in the hallways of their school overwhelms my soul. And and, and so I know the real world is there and, and, 
it, it's it, you're not going to have a clear conscience just by just by chance. You got to grab hold of some conversations you have. You got to work at unseeing some things that you have to see. You have to rearrange some thought process in your head and say, "I am not going down that road." I'll never forget one of you men telling me about the Christmas party that was going on at your work, and you told me you knew what was going to be there. You described to me what was going to be there, and you said, "I am not going." I am proud of you, and I think about you often for making that statement because you knew that to have a clear conscience is a battle that you've got to fight. Amen. It took constant effort for Paul to get that. It required willingly denying himself and always considering the will of the Lord. The same principles hold true for anyone else who desires the testimony of a good conscience void of offense. Amen. Lord Jesus, let's quit. I'm not, I'm not close. Lord, I thank you for this church. Lord, I ask you to keep your hand upon them. God, I do not take for granted that these people have come out on a cold, nasty, wet, rainy East Texas night. God, whatever I didn't do through your word, I pray that you would do it for them on the way home. Let them feel your presence and your glory, God, because I appreciate them being here and I know that you appreciate their faithfulness. Speak to their hearts, God. Make their day beautiful tomorrow. Watch over them. Keep your hand upon their children. Guard them on their jobs. Keep them in their workplaces, God. I thank you for your mercy in all of our lives. I thank you for your goodness and your kindness and your love for us. Would you stand together with me? Just lift your hands to the Lord and let's love him before we go. Lord Jesus, I worship you tonight. I praise you, God. I thank you. Lord, I want us to have goals that are worthy of our walk with you, Lord. I want us to have some worthy goals. Pray to him just a few minutes. Lord, help me to have worthy goals. God, I know I'm going to be busy doing other stuff this year, but help me to have some worthy goals for my relationship with you and for my eternal soul, God. Help me to have some goals that are going to affect my life a 100 years from now, a 1,000 years from now. God, even though it seems crazy to the world and like the, like the Apostle Paul said, a sect, some people think we're crazy. They think we're part of something that's lost its mind. But God, I'm here to tell and to declare again that one of these days the trumpet of God is going to sound and there's going to be an eternal kingdom that we're a part of. And we need to have goals that, that show that. We need goals in our life that reveal that this is not home that we're just passing through. Lord, I pray that we would awaken, that we would honor you with our lives, oh God. You know every one of our struggles, God. You know every one of our weaknesses. They're not the same. We all struggle with different stuff and some people think somebody else is crazy because they struggle with that and yet they struggle with something else, God. We don't always understand why we end up where we do in our mind, but God, I'm asking you to help us to pursue the goals, oh Lord, and I ask you to touch this body of believers. Bless them, I pray, in the mighty name of Jesus. Amen. God bless you. We'll continue from here. Hallelujah. Amen. Next, we're going to be talking about a goal of bearing fruit unto holiness. A fruit unto holiness. Amen. Next time we meet together on this subject, next Wednesday night. God bless you. Don't forget, sign up for Monday night Bible study. Amen. There's three choices back there on the table. There will be child care. Amen.